Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome. My name is David, and I am the pastor here at Redeemer, and um, I preach on Sundays. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into it this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this opportunity to come together um, and worship you, and worship you led by uh, all those wonderful kids, Lord, to hear them call you um, their lighthouse. Lord, I just pray that we would take that to heart, that it would embed in their hearts, that it would be part of our heart, that in this world we would see you as the, the light that leads our lives. Uh, Lord, you came into the world and you were light, and as we open your word, we just pray that that light would illuminate things for us, that it would help us to see our lives, that it would help us to understand the world around us better, Lord, and that in all things uh, we would work for the good that your kingdom brings in this world, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> okay, today we move into week two of a series we are doing called Correcting Christian Cliché. Um, and this is a series where we are thinking about some of the, the common phrases, some of the things people say, uh, some of the things sometimes Christian people say, and things that are usually well-intended, but uh, oftentimes not helpful, and sometimes not even in the Bible at all, even though people think that they are. And, uh, and that's certainly the case with the one that we are going to engage today, and I want to introduce it to y'all by actually uh, reading a very short fable of Aesop. This is one of Aesop's fables called Hercules and the Wagoner, and it's got some old English in it, so just hang, hang on here. There was once a wagoner driving a heavy load along a very muddy way, and at last he came to a part of the road where his wheels sank halfway into the mire, and the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. The wagoner was aghast there. He was stupefied looking at his wagon until the wagoner put down his, his whip and, and, and prayed to Hercules the Strong, saying, O Hercules, help me in this my hour of distress. And thus, Hercules, it is said, appeared. And after seeing the situation, Hercules the Strong addressed the wagoner as such. Put your shoulder to the wheels, my man. Goad on your bullocks, which I think means uh, use your rumpus. And never more pray to me for help until you have done your best to help yourself. Because what is the moral of Aesop's fable? All of Aesop's fables had a moral. The gods help those who help themselves. There it is, y'all. That's our cliche for today in sixth century polytheistic form. Uh, we recognize it more as God helps those who helps themselves, or the Lord helps those who helps themselves. That's the 21st monotheistic version that we are very familiar with today. And um, I'm sure you all are, are familiar with this. You've heard it because this is a phrase that is thoroughly embedded in our American conversation. And uh, I actually did some digging on this, as you, as you can tell, uh, and I discovered that th that's as far back as the 6th century, but we actually have a story from a guy named Babrius uh, that is very similar to, to this that actually dates back to the 1st 
century. So what that means is that uh, the Lord helps those who helps themselves is at least as old as Jesus is, folks. And just like many of the words of Jesus, it has been echoed down throughout the centuries. And wait, didn't Jesus also say this? Or Paul or Moses or someone in, in the Bible, right? Right, isn't this in the Bible? No, actually wrong. And I can see that by some of the reactions I got just asking that question. Uh, but, but to be clear, this is only in the book of Second Opinions, which is what you'll need <laughs> if someone tells you this is in the Bible, because it's not true. Uh, God helps those who helps themselves is nowhere to be found anywhere in the good book. It originated outside of the Bible. The idea is never fully affirmed or echoed once in the Bible, even though it has been attributed to the Bible over and over again ever since. And, uh, you know, this is anecdotal, but does anybody remember on the late show when Jay Leno did it, the segment Jaywalking that he used to do? Yeah, yeah. For those of you that don't remember and are too young, Jay Leno was the guy before Jimmy Fallon was an apple in Saturday Night Live's eye, right? Uh, and, and he used to go out and, and interview people on the streets and just kind of talk to them about questions that, that it seemed like they, sh- they would know, seemed like they should know the answers to, and yet uh, that wasn't often the case. And one time he went out and said, can you tell me one of the Ten Commandments? And the most frequent commandment he heard back was, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> not a commandment, okay? Um, this is not anecdotal. Uh, there's a group called the Barna Research Group that does some really good work uh, doing big statistically viable samples of the American public and kind of tracking the intersection of faith and culture. And in some research they did a decade back, what they discovered is that over 7 out of 10 Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is actually in the Bible. And, and, and half of the American public actually thought that this was one of the major ideas of Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. Again, to be clear, it is not. And really the question that emerges, uh, I think, when, when we look at this and see how prevalent it is, is why? Why is this platitude so prevalent? Why do so many people think that this idea is in the Bible even though it's not? Let me just offer three thoughts that, that I think are very helpful here. One, uh, because most people don't know what is in the Bible. I think most people believe God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible because most people don't actually know what's in the Bible. And there's another research group called Lifeway, uh, Lifeway Research, that did a study last year on Bible engagement. And these were their findings. Um, about 20% of Americans have, have uh, read through the entire Bible which is actually amazing. Like, that's incredible and awesome. Another 12% have, have, have almost read all the Bible, uh, which is also awesome. And I'm guessing they just stopped at Leviticus, Numbers, and the Minor Prophets, right? It's also encouraging to, to see there that like 15% have at least read half of the Bible. Like, all of those things take some really serious commitment uh, and take some real engagement, and that half was probably the engagement with Jesus. Um, however, so th- while, while that is actually fairly positive uh, in, in letting us know that there are a lot of people who know uh, quite a bit of, about the Bible, it also means on the flip side, the 53% of the American public is, is pretty biblically illiterate. And... Um, 
And, and it means that maybe some people know some passages or stories, but over half of America doesn't really know enough of the Bible to really understand the gospel and really the heart of the scripture within it. And, and if that's the case, it, you know, actually, <clears throat> one of the things it says to us is there's a massive opportunity to help people see how beautiful the message of scripture really is. Uh, that, 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 that should say to the church, there's a great opportunity for engagement here. Um, but it also tells us that, uh, that, that it's not going to be surprising if most people associate non-biblical ideas like God helps those who help themselves with the, Bi- with the Bible because they simply just don't know what's in the Bible. Here's the second reason. Uh, I would say one of the reasons this is, idea is so prevalent is because most Americans already agree with this idea. Right? I think this is probably the most significant reason this saying is so popular, because this is what we already think as Americans. Right, It's part of the self-help kind of ideal and narrative that, that does so well in this country, and actually not so well in, in other countries. Does, doesn't God helps those who help themselves sound a lot like uh, a lot of the other phrases that we have grown up hearing, like, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? There's one. Or if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Or you are the master of your own destiny. Or if you work hard enough and keep trying, your dreams are fully within your reach. That's the stuff we grew up on. And God helps those who help themselves, honestly, is really just like it. Uh, In fact, if you remove God from God helps those who help themselves, it really is just help yourself, right? (laughs) Which sounds like uh, very much the American thing that that we already believe, all right? Here's the third one, because there's some truth in there, because there is actually a little bit of truth in this idea of us taking an active role in helping ourselves. I ran across this quote from Stephen King that I really liked. There may be fairies, there may be elves, but God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) I think one of the things that Stephen King is after there with a big dose of irony is that in every well-worn fiction, there has to be some fact. And, uh, and, and, And and he would know that, right? This is a man who has made a career out of writing fiction. The best fictions are often based on, they're often clothed with truth. And I think that is the case with God helps those who help themselves. There's some truth in that idea, and actually even some, some biblical truth. Uh, like here's one bit of uh, biblical truth that overlaps that we do see in the scripture. It, it's pretty clear God is not in favor of laziness, okay? W- one of the, the situations that is very clear it comes from a, a time when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica about something that was happening there. Let me read it for you guys. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Okay, so let me give you a little background on that. One of the things that was really unique about the the first church, the early church, was how they shared resources. 
And the, the early church actually shared resources uh, on a large scale. When they had someone with a great need or they had some common goal they were trying to do, they would pool resources and try to make it happen. But they also did it on a larger scale with small things that folks needed and sometimes as simple as just coming together and eating a meal together as an act of worship, but also as a way to make sure that those who didn't have as many resources were able to eat, which was a much bigger deal in the first century. Um, and, uh, and, and so what was happening in, in this situation is, is they were having this common meal together, and it appears that there were certain folks who were part of that Christian community in Thessalonica who wanted to eat the meal but did not want to make their appropriate contribution to it, whether it was working to help or bringing food. And, and they didn't want to do any work. They just wanted to eat, which is not cool, Right. Uh, it's not cool when you are working hard and someone else is hardly working. And, and I bet many of you guys have experienced that. You know that. You've been in that, in that group at college where it was a group project and two people did all the work and you carried me along the whole way. <laughs> so, so Paul offers this principle uh, to follow. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You don't work, you don't eat. It's simple, plain, and, and honestly, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and you can see some overlap there in that idea then, and God helps those who help themselves. Because based on this passage, uh, God's not in favor of laziness or freeloading. And if a person isn't willing to do anything to help themselves or the other people who are part of the community, it seems like Paul is not going to be in favor. The Bible's not going to be in favor in just helping those people, right? It, 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 and let me tell you, uh, just from my own experience in trying to help a whole lot of people, uh, if, if people, it, it really doesn't do any good long-term to help a person who isn't interested in changing or doing anything to help themselves, right? That's just a reality. Um, so, so there is some truth there, but here's the thing that I, I just want to make very, very clear. There's not enough truth to use this statement. Uh, what is the saying? Even a broken clock is right two times a day, right? Just because that clock is broken doesn't mean you want to use it because it is terribly wrong most of the rest of the time. And I'm telling you, that is, I think, the core problem with this statement. God helps those who help themselves it, it is definitely not representative of the heart of the gospel, of our faith. And there are really two ways that I, I just want to clarify that for us this morning. Two, two ways where I think it's especially true. Here's the first. God helps those who helps themselves, creates a self-centered understanding of salvation. Creates a self-centered understanding of salvation. I don't know if you all have uh, heard this story before, but um, Muhammad Ali, you know, the great boxer who never lacked for self-confidence, evidently he was on an airplane and they were getting ready to take off, and the flight attendant was kind of moving through the aisles, making sure that people were ready to go. And she noticed that Mr. Ali did not have his seatbelt buckled, and so she said, Mr. Ali, could you please uh, uh, buckle your seatbelt? And he said back to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt, right? And so the flight attendant, without missing a beat, looked back at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane either, right, <laughs> Mr. Ali? <laughs> so buckle up and... Uh, you know, that story, it just reminds me, even though we might not be that kind of arrogant, what, what can happen, especially in our human sinfulness, is a little bit of success 
can very, very quickly lead us to a foolish, blind pride. And I think the biblically the most biblically troubling aspect of God helps those who help themselves is it creates foolish pride. It, 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 it's a, it, it creates this situation where we think that it's me first and then God is secondary. Where I do, I do my part and then God will come along and just give that little extra. Where, where, um, where uh, I, I am at the center of things. I, I am the one who makes things happen and, and it's just this self-centered relationship with God, and it's just not helpful, nor is it representative of the gospel. In fact, it undermines the very heart of the gospel, which is this, that God helped us when we couldn't help ourselves. That God helped us when we couldn't help ourselves. Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Y'all hear that? Does that sound anything like God helps those who help themselves? Not not at all. And I want you to notice the word choice here. Uh, When Christ died for us, what were we? powerless, powerless, right? Is there any power in powerlessness? No, there's, there's nothing there. Uh, there's not even an ability to flex that muscle at all when it's powerless. Can the lights in your living room turn on when the power goes out and it's powerless? Can they, can they help themselves to turn on? No, no. When you have a, a, a car that is powerless, when the battery is dead, is there anything you can do to jumpstart your own battery? No, right? I was reminded of that one week ago when Nikki helped us jumpstart our our car, right? And uh, what this verse is saying is that when you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, which is also language from the book of Romans, dead. There's nothing a dead person can do to make themselves come alive. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins and powerless, God showed us his love by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That was how God jump-started our lives into eternity, and that's the gospel. When we were powerless, God came in with his power and saved us. The gospel is that God helped us when we couldn't help ourselves. Here's, uh, here's another verse to, to, to just reflect on. Ephesians 2, chapter 8 through 9. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. Chapter 8 through 9, I would not do that to you, nor do those verse, those exist. Um, <clears throat> for by, the, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. Right? Hear that one? Does that one sound anything like God helps those who helps themselves? No. Uh, and, and notice how clear Paul is in this verse about who has done what to help themselves. Just in case anybody gets confused, he's utterly clear. He says, this is not your own doing, you're being saved. That's not you. You didn't do that. You didn't save yourself. And so, Paul, how were we saved? And, and, and the language here is so, is so at the heart of the gospel. It's so important. By the grace of God. Not by works, the text says, so that you can't boast and say that you helped yourself as if you did something and then God came alongside you. 
Uh, You were saved by God's free gift of grace, which you did nothing to earn. Grace is a gift that we freely receive. We are only saved by the grace of God. And, And it's just utterly clear in this verse because God helped us when we couldn't help ourselves. Okay, y'all see that? This is so clear in the scripture, and and really that's the first big problem with this idea. It undermines the gospel and creates a self-centered view of salvation. Here's the second thing that I would point out. God helps those who helps themselves, misses the biblical mandate for Christians to help the many people who cannot help themselves. It misses the biblical mandate for us to help the many people who cannot help themselves. You know, one of the ways to um, immediately see how ridiculous this platitude can be is to actually place it in another context. Um, because I, I think in America, we, we can tend to miss this. Because uh, in America, by the grace of God, we do have some control over uh, our lives. And if we are willing to work hard, there are a lot of things we can accomplish Um, most of us. I still think many of us don't see the privilege and the blessing we have in the places that we are born into in life, okay? But but, but change up the context and and put this in another country, and we will uh, see how clear this can be. Imagine you were talking to some kids in Sudan whose whose parents uh, died of AIDS and then were, were displaced by war, right? And you were to have a conversation and it got to this. And you were to say, what if you told those kids, God helps those who helps themselves. If you said that to that kid, God helps those who helps themselves. First thing you would probably feel if you said that is terrible. And you should if you ever do anything like that, okay? Uh, the, the, The second thing I think you would notice is that this kid wouldn't even understand what you're saying. Like, this, this platitude wouldn't even register in their minds because they're so far removed from our American reality that that, that, that statement wouldn't even make sense, right? Be, because from their perspective, the world isn't filled with endless opportunity, right? Instead, the world they have lived in is a place where they've barely been able to survive, right? Their world has been damaged, obstinate, violent. It's been filled with war and pain. And of course, they've done everything they could to help themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't be alive, right? But, but when, when they, they pray, they're not praying, God help me because I'm helping myself, right? Their prayers are more like, Lord, save me, period. Lord, help me, period. Lord, have mercy on me, period. And, and I just think uh, that's a much better prayer and understanding of where any of us are to begin with anyways. Uh, you guys see my point with this, right? Um, for many people who find themselves in, in places of need, getting help isn't as simple as finding your bootstraps and picking yourself up, right? Sometimes the holes we are in are so deep that we have no ability to get out of them on our own. Holes that maybe we created uh, ourselves, holes that others created for us. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's a mix of the two, but we can't climb out of that hole on our own. And, uh, and what the Bible consistently has a mind for uh, is those folks who cannot help themselves, and the mandate is for us to step in and to help them right? We are called to help people who cannot help themselves. And just think about this for a moment. Based on what we already talked about, isn't that exactly what God has already done for us? If God saved us by his grace when we couldn't help ourselves, wouldn't it make sense that God would call us to do the same for other people who are in situations where they cannot help themselves? You know, we we actually see this come out of the scripture in a number of ways. 
one of the ways uh, that is especially helpful is in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, where God is laying out law for his people and how he wants people to live. He has a special mind for folks who are in a situation where they cannot help themselves. Here is Leviticus 23, verse 22, which says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. Okay, so what, what's happening in this scripture is that God is telling those who are farmers, who, which was pretty much everybody at this time, when they sow seed and it's time to harvest those plants, they are intentionally supposed to leave a part of that crop unharvested. They were, they were not to eat it or sell it. They were supposed to leave it. Why? Because there was a whole bunch of people who were in vulnerable places where they, they could not help themselves and they could not make ends meet. And so, so the poor and the foreigner residing among them would be able to go back into those fields and have food to eat, right? This was built into the fabric of the way God wanted his people to live, to have a mind for people who could not help themselves, Right? And it just shows us that this is part of what God wanted then and certainly something Jesus affirmed in the New Testament. Because think about this. Here's a New Testament example of, of, of God calling us to help people who cannot help themselves. The parable of the Good Samaritan. That, is, that, that, that came to my mind. The man who comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who's my neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' answer to that question. And, and, and when he tells the story of the man who comes and helps the, the person who is, who is in utter uh, helplessness on the side of the road, who's been beaten, who's naked, who's had everything stolen for him, uh, what he's saying, his answer to the question of who's my neighbor is, who do you need to be a neighbor to, right? It, 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 it's a question of where in the world are there people who, who, who need to, to have help, who are in positions that they cannot help themselves. And, 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 and so this is one of the ways we see God's heart. Jesus wants us to help people who cannot help themselves, right? Here's, here's another one. James 1.27 says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Why orphans and widows? Because in this world, these were some of the people who were the most vulnerable and were in situations where so often they could not help themselves, right? The message in the Bible, I could spend so much time here, is consistent and and critical. God calls you and me through our actions to help people who cannot help themselves. And honestly, I think if somehow we are missing that part of the gospel, And we think that we do not need to help those who truly need it because we think God helps those who help themselves. There's probably something wrong fundamentally with the way that we understand the gospel at all. I just think that's that's probably true. Okay, let me offer this one one thought to finish. I I, I want to be clear. uh, I do think that there are times, by the grace of God, so often, most of the time in our lives, when we really can help ourselves and we should right? There is a lot that we can do for ourselves, that we need to do for ourselves, that God calls us to do for ourselves by his grace that we're enabled to do. But I think that, there, that, that one of the ways where we finally see the truth of this is, is that there come times in all our lives, if those times have not come already for you, where we realize, I cannot do this on my own, 
what I need to do. I do not have the ability or the power or the resources to do what I need to do. And, and, and maybe, honestly, in some of those moments, we don't even deserve that, uh, that, that we, need, we, we get help because we got ourselves into this mess. But I, I just want to share as clearly as I can this truth of the gospel. God's grace is greater than our, our ability to think we deserve it. And God's love is stronger and wider and deeper than the deepest hole we can ever find ourselves in. And in those moments of need, when we cannot save ourselves, we have a God that comes to our rescue, that holds us near, that's love will not abandon us, and will be there for us in, in our time of need. And that's truth. That's the gospel truth, friends. I'm so thankful for the God who helps us when we cannot help ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> um, so many of the uh, ways that we see the world and the ideas we have can, um, can, can just for so many reasons be off. And I, I just pray that as we have thought about this one, as we've opened up your word and seen um, how, how this idea interacts with, with what's closer to the heart of your scripture, that you would just continue to work in our hearts and minds, not only to correct and redirect our own thoughts, if that's what we need, but also to have a heart to help those who cannot help themselves. Lord, I pray that, that we, would, we would see our, our, our own need for your grace and forgiveness and love, and through a recognition of our truly dependent place with you, Lord, we would, we would then extend that to other people in this world. I pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.